Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. And we're back with you this week uh, with a great guest. I think I've I've read the correspondence. I'm, I, I read a lot of the correspondence with the guests um, just so I'm familiar with who we've got and who Chuck's booking and stuff like that, just because uh, I want to know what I'm getting into. Sometimes Chuck likes to surprise me, but uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm genuinely uh, looking forward to a good episode this week. Uh, Chuck, who did you bring on the show? <clears throat> so Glenn wrote in, he's a retired sergeant of 25 years from the Broward County Sheriff's Office. He was a hostage negotiator on the SWAT team for 13 years. Um, he was an organized crime detective working smuggling cases at the airport. Well, it's Florida, so I'd assume there was a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a bodyguard in the musical entertainment field. And he was on Cops, their first season in 1989 for several episodes. Um, he's a retired uh, sergeant in the uh, military police. Um, did five years stationed in Germany, and he is the author of four books. Wow, like I said, quite I'm a resume. Very excited when I read all that. I was uh super stoked to have Glenn on. Glenn, how are you, sir? Oh, very good. Thanks for having me on today. And you said uh, things are great on the farm. Did you you retired to a farm? Uh, no, wishful thinking, but no, I'm in the city. Ah, uh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> a different kind of animals out here. Ah, well, don't we know it? Ain't that the truth? Now you were um, you were in Florida. Yes. Uh, what what part of Florida? Uh, the Fort Lauderdale area, South Florida. Okay. Okay. Right. So yeah, um, I would imagine in in the era that you were there, um, that was a that was a pretty active time for. Uh, the, I mean, Florida's the, never been not active, but well, that's true. It's had was you this, know it's had waves. Was this the era of the cocaine cowboys? Yeah, I was just going to exactly say that. Oh my yeah. gosh! <laughs> yeah, there's a documentary. That's there is. I was going to oh, talk. Yeah. I was going to mention that too. I didn't want to <laughs> step on uh, Glenn's thunder, but uh, that's the Griselda Blanco and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, it's a crazy time. Even when uh, Geraldo Rivera came down here and did one of his first shows about the doping of America, uh, oh, I was one wow. of his escorts taking him around to all these dope houses and during the drug deals and the drug raids. Wow. That's, that's pretty. So, yeah. So why don't you, uh, then I, I I'm fascinated by this and I can't wait to hear, how did you go from, how did you get into the, the service? And then how did that translate? Obviously you were an MP. How did that then translate into your law enforcement career? Get, walk us through that. Okay. Well, you know, growing up in New York, I used to watch when I was younger, watching all those cop shows, um, you know, from the fifties and sixties, and it looked like a pretty cool job to have. Like Dragnet uh, and, and Dragnet uh, and uh, Highway Patrol. Highway I don't, Patrol. I mean, actually, you know, <laughs> when I was in Universal Studios on a tour, I got picked to be in a, in a scene for uh, Adam Twelve. <laughs> oh wow, bizarre. that is funny. When you and <laughs> this before that. you were a cop? Yeah, before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, wow, it was kind really of weird. Cool. That is they cool. Picked me to be. Uh, I was a robber of a uh, of a bar, <laughs> and I get into a shooting with the cut with the two cops, and they kill me. And my partner oh, survives. 
That's fun. That's fun. <laughs> I, I remember when they used to do that. They used to pick people to do like scenes for stuff. And uh, I think I think my brother was in Star Trek, and oh, I, well. yeah, it was weird. <laughs> the, the Universal Studios used to be when it was you know when it was more of a studio lot. Universal yeah. Studios in Los Angeles was quite fun, uh, but they did they filmed Adam Twelve and Dragnet. So you watched all those shows growing up. Right. Yeah, and of you know, I I watched him in reruns. My dad watched him in first runs. That's what got him into the job too. Yeah, and that led me into uh, as I got older, uh, I did a bunch of different security jobs and detective jobs for stores. And then I go, well, it was the Vietnam was winding down in the seventies, late in the early seventies. But I said, let me uh, before I get before I get uh, any further, let me just enlist in the military. My father was in the military, uh, so I figured, let me just join. And I go, well, I want to get into law enforcement, so let me go to the, let me become an MP. But the basic training, I went to Fort Gordon, Georgia for MP school. Uh-huh. And I got trained as an MP. And after that, I got transferred up to Germany. Glenn, you're one of the few and proud uh, American men who can say, as the Vietnam War was winding down, I said, I better get in this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go. No, no, but but you know the the there was so many people. I mean, granted, it, you know, in the early seventies, like my dad, same thing. It was winding down. It wasn't quite as, you know, the draft wasn't quite, you know. But my uncle was prepared to flee the draft. I, I was always, you know, I was always I was debated him when he was alive about that. And my dad yeah. was in college at the time. But you know, there's lots of young men that were trying not to go. Oh, yeah, sure. And here you were putting mm-hmm. yourself in a position where, you know, up until what, all the way up until 1975, they could have sent you. Right. So, yeah, you know, good, good for you. Good on you. So, yeah, I did my time as I got promoted to sergeant a short time later. And, you know, I worked in Nuremberg, Germany. And after I got, I got the ETS out of the service, um, I didn't do anything for a little while because I really wanted to basically just do nothing. I just wanted to really, I just wanted to collect unemployment for a little while and just relax. <laughs> but then I'm seeing, I'm getting older. Let me start thinking about my, in my future, my career. So, so how old I were you at, at this little... point when you got out of the military? I was probably, um, let's see, 19, uh, low 20s, 23, 24. Okay. So you, you went ostensibly went in at 18, did four or five years. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, I didn't do anything for a while. I was working like those jobs and security work. And then I'm saying, I'm getting a little older here. So let me let me do what I really want to do. Join the police department. So I started working with a small agency down here called it in the city of Dania, which is a small city near the beach. And I started off as a reserve officer. So I did that for about six months. And then they picked me up full time and started working full time. And then about, a, about two years after that, the sheriff's office merged with the city and we all became deputy sheriffs. Oh, wow. And then oh, about wow. a year after that, I got promoted to sergeant and I retired 25 years later as a sergeant. Wow. So you made sergeant, you, you, you never, you kind of accidentally fell into a sergeant spot as a deputy sheriff with that agency in, in some ways. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I have good. a friend, I have a friend who did that. He was, uh, he worked for the MTA police. Uh, and yep. for those of you who didn't live in Los Angeles, that was the Metro. It's it's basically transit police, right? Right. Metropolitan so, Transit Authority. MTA, Metropolitan Transit yeah. Authority. And their job was just guarding public transit, you know, right. mm-hmm. doing police work for public transit. But at some point, yeah. the transit police went defunct and the duties 
that were being done by the transit police were absorbed by LAPD in the city and LA sheriff in the county. So they just split the officers in half and anyone that could pass a background check was either sent to LAPD or LA sheriff. And he ended up being a a cop for 25 years at LAPD without ever having applied. You see, something worked out well that way. We also had a transit unit also at the sheriff's office. So, because our buses were, our buses were getting hit with a lot of robberies. And we had undercover mm. guys working on the buses and a couple of guys following the buses. And it worked out pretty good. It eventually disbanded the unit, but it wasn't bad. Ooh. I'm sure at the time, fun. you know, it's a, and even uh, for guys on LA sheriffs, I've, I've heard that uh, transit was a job that people didn't necessarily want to go to. So if you were stuck in the jail and you wanted to get out early and go out, you know, work the streets, yeah. you could go to transit quickly because that was a, that was a way people didn't want to, you know, go. So there's a lot of ways that you can kind of fall into a good career. And it sounds like you, you found one of them. <laughs> one of them. It helped out. So you, you come onto the job. Um, and I'm guessing this is, uh, if my math is right, uh, you're somewhere in the late seventies, or early eighties, when you came on the job. It was the early eighties. It was like 83. Okay. And wow. then you did 25 years in. So for those of you that, have been living under a rock uh the 1980s in florida (laughs) when when we talk about cocaine cowboys when we talk about like it was bananas it was crazy it was crazy and you're talking about fort lauderdale area sheriff's office and you said you worked organized crime right which doesn't surprise me because isn't florida where mobsters go to die they die and they have all their houses here. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I mean, they go. like there was a point at which like, you know, you the, the, the younger mafia guys from New York and a lot of the, that area, they would travel down to Florida to meet with, cool. you know, re, quote unquote, retired heads of the family to get the <laughs> blessing to do things back in New York. So they're running, they're, they're able to not run the day-to-day operations, but they're making executive decisions yep. from Florida. Yeah, sure. You know? It was nice. The weather was good. They could go on the beach. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Myra Lansky, he went down there, he retired down there and uh, yep. Lucky Luciano was constantly down there going to uh, from there to Cuba and back. And then there was a big thing with buying a bunch of land up in the, uh, and the marshes and stuff so they could yep. uh run their booze and stuff oh yeah like the everglades yeah yeah. The everglades, yeah. yeah tell me did you ever get to do police work on an airboat uh indirectly yes uh when i was working with um when i was in the city of this little town called weston uh which borders the everglades uh we would have to go out on the airboat with the uh, the paramedics had their own airboat and we went out there and there was we had you know uh, major plane crashes in the Everglades, mm-hmm. uh, airliners cool. that you know hundreds of people were killed. Um, there was uh, unlawful shootings, uh, people getting shot, but people just shooting wildly in the Everglades, not knowing what's on the other side of the bushes. So we'd have to go out on their airboat and do whatever we need to do. And for people that don't understand, the Everglades is, you know, they talk about Australia where everything in Australia is trying to kill you. The Everglades yeah. is very similar. <laughs> Right. The Everglades is literally one of the like wildest place. Like if Florida had the spot where you're like, okay, that's the most dangerous place in Florida. (laughs) It would be. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) one of the hockey teams in the NHL is the Florida Panthers Panthers because the 
Everglades have panthers. panthers. Oh, yeah. Actual yeah. panthers, right? It's, right? They didn't pick their name out of thin air. And a few you know? alligators, too. Yeah, quite quite a few. And some some anacondas, right? Anacondas, right? And they're there. Those were like uh, anyway. Just suffice to say, knowing that you worked, uh, you know, those kinds of gigs in the eighties and nineties in Florida, especially you know near the Everglades. That's the wild wild west, man. That's mm-hmm. you know you're you're on the ragged edge, and Florida was not. Like, you know, we're talking, go back and watch Miami Vice, right? Like, (laughs) I mean, granted, you probably weren't driving around in a Ferrari in a white linen suit with a teal shirt, but I can't fit in them. (laughs) (laughs) So with all of the stuff you've done, what was your favorite thing in your career that you did? Like for me, working undercover narco was my favorite thing that I got to do in my career. The only thing that I wanted to do that I didn't get to do was VICAP, the violent criminal apprehension, uh, right. where, you know, you just you work with marshals and FBI and all and for the or 10 most wanted, you just go chase the bad guys, the really, yeah. really bad guys. That's, that was the one thing I never got to do that I wanted to do. What was your favorite? Well, I could probably say maybe two of my favorites was working organized crime, getting the, doing the smuggling at the airport, mm-hmm. uh, getting guys with, uh, you know, kilos of cocaine, Ooh. machine guns, silencers that are being put on the airplane what? and then following it. And then D, and then working with DEA, if it was a really big drug case, then DEA would get involved and they, they would basically take over the case, but we would work it with them and take it wherever it ended. So right. wound up two or three times during the year. I was doing drug deals across the United States with DEA. I would dress up as a UPS or a FedEx guy and deliver the dope. Yeah, controlled deliveries. Yeah. Did, now, so did cool. you have to get blessed uh, OSADEF? Did you have to get was, federally designated to work with DEA, or did they just use you for local stuff? They, they just used us. We didn't get oh, okay. uh, federally certified. Yeah, that's, oh. that was one thing. Like, I know some guys that got federally certified yeah. and blessed under OSADEF to mm-hmm. be, you know, right proxy federal agents but that's you know that's one of those cool things that you know yeah, it was anyway <laughs> I, I can imagine work, work yeah right exactly yeah <laughs> so working the smuggling at the airport are you talking we're not talking interdiction right we're not talking cold interdiction where you're just you know gra- snagging people as they come through on probable cause or a hunch we're talking you're working cases where you get intel and things like that what, what how yeah, does well, that it was, actually it was both okay uh, we would do a lot of interdiction and then also we would get calls from uh, dea or customs in new york and say that we're looking out for this person who's probably carrying something on them or in them and look out for them and if you find them obviously grab them which we did so now did you I mean, wall those off for example um we did a case where you know we we had the information that the dope was being smuggled out of a shipping, uh, a commercial shipping business, but we used the sheriff's, our local sheriff's department and had him take his dope dog. Right. To do quote unquote, you know, random (laughs) check of the facility. Hey, we're just doing checks and da, 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 da. da. And he walked his dog through the facility while he was talking to the manager and the dog hit on the box and, you know, boom. Oh, once upon a time, I was at this shipping place and found all this dope, <laughs> Yeah, you know, but we had ha- we had all the intel leading up to that. And we were able right. to wall it off and not tell the suspects that we had intel leading up to it. 
did you guys work a lot of that kind of stuff when when we were working with DA? Did you wall it off? Uh, not not really. Uh, we would we would you know get the bad guy with the dope, and then we would have him do a uh, we would roll him over to the next guy he was delivering it to, and that's what led us to the other states. And then we would set up on that guy, and and work the deal from there and see how far it goes. And it was, some of them went pretty good. I mean, we did, we go we got a couple of nice drug labs in New York across wow. from, from uh, one of the colleges. Uh, so it, it worked out pretty good. Our sheriff was happy with what we did. Now, uh, when you say drug labs in New York, what kinds of drugs were they manufacturing in New York? Cocaine. The the, so there cocaine. were coke labs, like yeah, coke crack labs. cocaine, or were they actually no, just, taking yeah, hydrochloride? Really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow, I thought it was all brought over pre-processed, but you're saying they actually smuggled yeah. in the raw materials and then manufactured. Right. Oh yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. There was even one incident where my my partner and I uh we were in the in the guy's house waiting for them to come back with we were in with customs and DEA. And I go, let's take a picture of us. So one of the guys took a Polaroid snapshot of us. We were holding our guns up, like pointing it at the camera. Oh, and yeah. a badge on the other hand. Oh, yeah. And we the on, hero the, on the bottom of the picture, we said, you're busted. And we put it <laughs> on top of this trunk where all they had all the dope and the, and the, uh, the mixing compounds in it. Mm. Hoping that <laughs> they would come, but, you know, unfortunately, the guys never came back. Oh. So they called, they called it. I'm sure they found the picture. Sure. That's fine. <laughs> so what happens if they didn't want to flip? Uh, well, then it, then it didn't happen. Nothing it's happened. They went right. to jail and we yeah. logged the dope in and moved on to the next mm. guy. Now, Most of was, did flip. was that the goal was that you were working? It, it's kind of like street level dope, like street cops working street level dope where their goal is to catch a user or a low level dealer and flip them to try and get the right. higher level, you know, weight dealer or to even yes. get the source of supply. Yeah, because they would offer them substantial of... assistance, uh, right. you know, via the VR state attorneys. And we would tell them that you want to cooperate right now. You're facing 25 years. The two hundred fifty thousand dollar fine. If you don't yeah. want to do that, to help us out, where are you going? You know who's next yeah. on the chain? I used to tell them. I'd, I'd say I, I can write. I got to write this report one way or the other. The question <laughs> is, do I put an S in front of your name for suspect, or do I right. put a W in front of your name for witness? That's yeah. that's your. Those are your choices. But you have to know the alphabet. So I don't know if they know that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> C is for cocaine. That's what they know. Right. <laughs> M is for money. K. Right. <laughs> yeah. And my other best time was working as a negotiator on the SWAT team. Um, saved a lot of people, lost a few people, but it was uh it was it was worth it, I think. Put all that hours in, all the years I did it. I was the lead negotiator after I got trained for a while. So I went on almost all the call outs. And uh that was uh it was it was I had a good time doing that. Now I have to ask you this then. Negotiators have been portrayed I feel like negotiators and uh, behavioral science, you know, the profilers mm-hmm. get so often portrayed in film and TV. Right. And yep. like patrol cops, you know, there's there's good patrol cop shows and bad patrol. You know, Southland's <laughs> good. Yep. Uh, you know, some of the other ones are not so good, you know. Um, yep. So is there a show that you would say or, or a film that you would say that has portrayed negotiators properly oh boy well it might be a little off script a little bit but the the movie and the negotiator right um a lot of stuff that i love he that did movie. a lot of stuff that he did is what we did now obviously it was hollywood right right 
You have but to you have to get some drama. You have to make yeah, it a you movie. Gotta, sure. realistically, realistically, it's very boring. Very boring right. work. Right. right? But uh, I think the negotiator in how the uh, the main actor spoke and what he said you can't do and you can do as a negotiator was pretty right on. Pretty okay. spot on. That was the first movie that came to mind, honestly, because I really do like that movie. And it's, you know, it's for those of you who haven't seen it, it's two hostage negotiators. One is supposedly the bad guy and one is supposedly the good guy. And <laughs> one has taken hostages and one is trying to negotiate them out. And they are having dialogue over the phone while the tactical guys are saying, we just got to get in there and take them out. Right. It's a really good movie. <laughs> Kevin Space, Samuel L. Jackson. Right. Um, but that so you're saying that. With, with the exception of the manufactured movie drama, <laughs> the procedural stuff seemed to be correct. Yeah, because I I would I put myself in that movie almost because it was the same thing I would say. Okay, uh, when talking yeah. with the with the uh, outside people or with the hostages, even I'm gonna wow. have to go watch oh. that movie again. Yeah, you know who my favorite negotiator is? Who? Oh. Riggs from Lethal Weapon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the the suicidal suspect. You know he's on top of the building. You want to jump? You want to jump? Let's just jump. Riggs is probably my favorite movie cop of all time. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it was only it, like that. If it was only like that. In fact, for those of you, I mean, I don't know how this turned into movie talk, but there's a deleted scene from the original Lethal Weapon movie. With and it it doesn't age well in this day and age, but back then it was you know unheard of. There's a school shooting in the original Lethal Weapon. There was a scene with a school shooter. There's a guy at a school with a high powered rifle, and it was not a student. It was a an adult. And Riggs goes on scene and faces him down alone. You know Hollywood gunfighter style. But it's a really cool, fun scene that they cut out of the movie. If you can go find, you can find it on YouTube or you can find it on like a director's cut. But anyway, um, so you, you working dope and organized crime, that kind of, you know, long term investigation that was, you know, those are some fun stuff. You put together the flow yeah. charts and the, you know, the, the who reports to who and the, you oh, know, yeah. it's, it's almost like it's. It, when I was working dope, I went to terror, it was terrorism liaison school. And the guy from CIA who was working, who was teaching that class said, we love dope cops because they know how to put org charts together. And yeah. They know how to develop informants and assets, just like you have to do when you're working a terror cell or just uh -huh. when you, you know, when you work in those kinds of, so I loved that kind of stuff, but you're saying hostage negotiator was also up there for you. Yes. Well, I'm hoping we can get some great stories. I'm sure you have them. <laughs> and I, we we're going to, I can already tell the audience we're going to have to have Glenn back on because I just talking to, this, to, to you for a few minutes has told me that uh, we're not even going to touch the scratch the surface of all the crazy fun stuff you've done. So and the floor is yours, crazy. sir. <laughs> all right. What do you want to know first? Uh, Let's let's go. What do you want to tell? You want to tell a negotiator story, or do you want to tell a uh, drug a drug story, or do you want to tell a uh, <laughs> organized crime story? We're those are your three favorites. So okay, uh, we'll talk about a negotiation we had. Okay, um, well, we had a, we had a call where a um, it was a, a nice house on the water, and the. Um, uh, to make a long story short, these two no, women no, make taken... it long. That's what we're here oh, for. Make it long, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
a deputy had a call of, of a uh, do a check on this on this on this uh, family at this house, and he's walking around the house, and he happens to see these two women tied up uh, to a chair on one of the side bedrooms. It's not something right? you see every day. And he sees a guy kind of walking around in the background, so he goes, "Well, this is probably not right." So he um, he calls the calls on the radio. He said he thinks he's got a some kind of a uh, uh, some kind of a uh, what do you call it? Uh, could be a hostage call, right? Right. So uh, and then of course that initiates the SWAT team. Mm-hmm. So then I, I get called out with my partner as the negotiators, and we get to the scene. We secure it. We try to get as much intel as we can prior to doing anything. Uh, we're controlling the airspace around the house. Um, so the SWAT commander is saying, listen, we're going to try to make contact with them on the phone, which I do. I get the phone number to the house. I'm talking talking with this guy. And he's just saying, uh, you know, don't leave me alone. You know, get out of here. I'm not going to come out. You know, the typical, I go, you know, what do you need? What do you want? What are you doing? Right. Mm-hmm. I don't want anything. Just leave me alone. Don't come in here or I'll, I'll kill these two women. I go, well, you know, you, you don't want to do that. Just chill out, relax. Okay. So about two hours later, we're, I'm still talking to this guy. About two hours later, I get him to, to release one of the women. And we get her out and we bring her over to where we were stationed across the street. And it turned out it was my son's pediatrician. Oh, what? What? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait. <laughs> Your son's pediatrician was. Was was taken hostage. Taken hostage. Now, who was this guy to her? He was nobody. He was a guy that was walking around. He was very high on cocaine. He saw them working out in front of the house, and he just approached me and grabbed him and forced him inside. In the words of the great Rick James, "Cocaine's a hell of a drug." (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it is. Wow. (laughs) I mean, we told you. We told you that cocaine was a hell of a drug. We told you Florida was crazy in the cocaine 80s. But damn, this guy's just high on cocaine, randomly takes these two women, or I'm I'm assuming, I don't know. You said two women. Yes. And he's a guy, takes him hostage randomly, doesn't know them, just high on cocaine. And one of them is your son's pediatrician. That happens to be the one they release. Yes. Did did your son get better medical care? Well, I'll get to that in a little bit. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes and no. So we, you know, she gives us more intel as to what's going on. She's okay. She's not hurt. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, two of the SWAT guys snuck around to the window where they can see inside, and they say, you know, they were on the radio. You know, we we got it. We got our eyes on. We could see them. So we, I'm trying to talk to him again. My partner's taking over for a little bit. He's talking to him. The SWAT commander is saying, "Keep him on the phone. We're going to make an entry into the house." So the two SWAT guys were on the side of the house, and the rest of the team was at the front door. So almost at the same time, as they were trying to break in the front door, all this gunfire started from the side of the house. Oh. So the two SWAT guys opened up on the guy and shot him 52 times from the window as they broke in the front door. What a shame. Yeah. And then uh, the guy died of lead poisoning. Yeah, right. (laughs) And and, uh, they got the lady out. It happened to be the, the housekeeper. She was unharmed. I don't know how she didn't get shot. And they get her out. And we talk with her for a while. And then we and then I go inside with my part, look at the scene. The guy kind of splattered all over the bedroom. And uh, that was the end of that. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a happy ending. Anyway, you slice right, happy it. Happy ending. Yeah. Right. It was a now, long night. Did, did the guys did the guys who engaged, did they what was their articulation? If because obviously the plan was take, you know, the front door and right. make, you know, kind of flank him 
simultaneously to confuse. Right. But generally speaking, the way I was trained up is one team is primary and another team is secondary. And so if you guys were surprised by the gunfire erupting, I'm guessing that team on the side of the house was secondary to provide cover, maybe a distraction. Did they just yeah. see an opportunity and go for I, it? I or, think were that's they what they were probably told is that if you have the option to go do it, if okay. you have the green light, take it. Okay. Because right? this guy was making, you know, over threats. He was getting close to her with the knife. Um, I guess he made the wrong move and uh, they made the right move. And they obviously had a position. You said it was a lot of glass. Yeah, they shot him through the window from the into from the bedroom. Yeah, so you know, it's yeah. easier to shoot somebody through a window than through a door. Well, sure. Yeah. So, so it was wow. a long night. We had to go to the grand jury on it. Obviously, they were found not guilty of the shooting. Uh, both women were fine. Grand jury? Yeah. That? So anytime, yeah. Any any shooting goes to the grand jury. Any wow. police shooting goes to the grand yeah. jury. Any any police shooting. Right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So we had to go, and you know, it's, you're not going to be found guilty of anything. It's just a procedural thing they have to go through. Wow. No, I. It's just interesting because where I'm from and where Chuck's from, it's it goes to the DA, and the DA can right. look at the facts and then just shit can it. Yeah. Like there's everybody's, no every state's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I, I there's a there's a there's a level of accountability, public accountability, if you impanel a grand jury and take every officer involved shooting to it, and you you're less likely politically to run into people saying, well, the DA is just protecting the cops. No, these were right. 18 citizens who right. said the cops did it right. So you can't right. politically for the DA, it's probably a little bit safer to take, safer. to say right. everything goes to the grand jury. Yeah. yeah. That's all. Let them make the decision. Yeah. And then about two weeks later, my son had this appointment with this doctor, this pediatrician. <laughs> <laughs> so I walked did in with she them. remember you before, well, yeah. before you I took your son in? Yeah, but I had to meet with the you know the girls at the desk first, right? And I go, oh, how's the doctor doing? You know, since I did that incident a couple of weeks ago, she's oh, she's okay. I said, yeah, I'm the one that guy, I'm the one that basically saved her life. I'm the, the negotiator, got her out. Oh, really? Okay, that's great. And she goes, well, you got fifteen dollar copay. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, excuse me. I go, I'm still gonna have to pay this lousy fifteen bucks. I just saved your doctor. So I, I mean... paid it, and I went back to see her, and I go. You know, how you doing? I said, you remember me? I was on the scene with you that day. Oh, yes. You know, I didn't really get a chance to thank you. Uh, and I go, listen, they still charged me the $15 to come see. I thought maybe they would forget about it. She goes, no, that's our policy. Yeah. I said, okay, well, I guess I found a new doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Went to a different doctor after that. <laughs> that's funny. Just kind of was gonna off, leave it. You know, it's just something little like that. It's like, it was, I thought it, it didn't sit right with me. Well, I I can understand that at some point you're like um not even like like a thank you like hey don't worry about it like <laughs> right you know it's not I mean, my deductible gonna, so it's not insurance fraud right well the business wasn't going to fold up if they didn't get their fifteen bucks sure <laughs> sure so wait, I said, right, wait, no wait tragedy. Mm. yeah maybe she didn't have the decision maybe it was the she wasn't a partner in the practice who knows but still no, it, was her, know, it was her business she was, oh, she was well, the only one then who knows. I don't know why people do make those decisions. So you you saved your son's doctor, <laughs> talked her out of there. Um, go ahead. Do do you want to go with a uh, uh, Ooh, drug narcos the drug story? Let's do a drug story. A drug story. Um, Best boats. <laughs> cigarette boats. Scarabs. Well, yeah. yeah, I wish. Actually, we did seize an airplane at one point. 
Oh yeah. Um, we got word that there was a bunch of kilos in the in the belly of a Air Jamaica jet. So we uh, we went downstairs with the uh, customs guys and went in the belly. Sure enough, there was about I think it was like fifteen or eighteen kilos in a couple of bags. So we had to get. We told everybody it had to get off the airplane, and we seized it. Right. Well, right. word traveled very very fast to the sheriff. And the sheriff calls us and goes, did you guys actually seize an airplane? I go, yes. He goes, do me a favor, give it back. What? <laughs> so I said, all right, sheriff, you have to give the plane back. We'll get the all plane back. All right. All right. If we have to do it, we have to do it. <laughs> if you say so. Yeah. I thought he was going to ask for a press conference in front of the plane. Yeah, well. It wasn't like a Cessna, it. was it? It was like a big one. It was a uh, DC-9, I think. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, maybe you have to give that back. You yeah, might. He, was, have. he wasn't yeah. real happy about it, but hey, it's it hilarious. It's like, you know, you could say you see. <laughs> no, so I took. I, I, you know, you got to take the hero shots, like you're talking about. Uh, we once took about. Uh, it was about a hundred pounds of dope, and it was in bales, and we set it up into like you know what looked like a futon, and then we you know took pictures of us napping on it right <laughs> you know and uh, one. Yeah. yeah so what is the most as we get to your dope stories i know you got a bunch but what's the most dope you've ever seen uh ever seen well i think well, yeah the one on like the, the one on the airplane went, is probably you, the most yeah so how much was that it was well it was about eight, 16 or 18 kilos so it's what are the pounds uh 30 16, pounds, 40 pounds, 2.2 pounds, 30. Oh, okay. But that was you know I mean? cocaine. That was cocaine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like wow, I'm, I've seen 632 pounds of weed, of which weed, you understand okay. like 632 <laughs> pounds of weed does not even remotely compare to the street value of two, you know, 2.2 pounds <laughs> per kilo, 16 right. to 18 kilos. You're talking about 32 to 38 pounds of Coke, right? Probably yeah. uncut. Oh, at yeah. that point, hadn't been stepped on. No. And what year was this? That was, uh, shoot, that was 19, uh, boy, 80, 85, 86. Okay, so we're talking 70 grand a key? Maybe. Yeah. And now you, yeah. And then you cut it and split it. And right. And you cut double. it, yeah. Right. You set 70 grand a kilo, so you multiply that $70,000 by, you know, 18 keys. That's your street. That's your... That's your actual value. Then you step on it, so oh, it yeah. doubles the amount. So now you have more you know, times. Yeah, yeah. So now you have like you end up with sixty or seventy pounds of cocaine. Yeah, that sells for uh, you know hundreds of dollars a gram. Yeah, and then eighties. Now it's cheaper now though. Well, it was super the, popular in the eighties. Well, sure it is. That's all it was. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. all, listen. I worked in a rock and roll club. It was all sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's all it was. But you know what though. I, I honestly, there's a part of me that longs for the days when it was just cocaine, heroin, and weed, right? And not crystal meth, fentanyl. Oh yeah, it's horrible. You know, like it, yeah. we just have gotten next level with all that shit, and they want to legalize everything. Mm-hmm. The libertarian in me understands it because <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of hey, let's just opi- open up the opium dens, and if you want to go in there and you know, use drugs. The the caveat is you got to sign a waiver that says I'm going in here to use drugs. If I die, I understand they have no obligation to save my life or do anything to help me. 
And if you die in one of those drug dens, they can literally just take you and dump you in an incinerator and tell no one. Oh, <laughs> like I'm, it, it, it's, you know, like, I mean, I was just like, we have enough, you know, we have enough impaired people driving around. Right. You know, yeah. why, why add to it? Maybe they just have to make a death notification form that this is a, just a triplicate form <laughs> on this date. On this time, we had this guy. He had ID. This was the name on the ID. This is where, you know, we dumped him in the incinerator. Here's the personal effects. You can have him if you want him. Like <laughs> at, at some point, you just you can't you can't stop these people from blowing their brains out with drugs. Oh, no, you can't. They want to do it. They want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's a that is a lot of dope, especially. Yeah, I mean, what? it's not it's not hundreds of pounds of you know, but, right, but for a lot. for a sergeant at the Broward County Sheriff's Department, <laughs> yeah. that's a know, lot. That's a lot. Like, you know, DEA seizes you know that kind of stuff on the regular, yeah. but you know, you work the street, you might find like, like I, I busted a guy with half a key, right? You know. Um, yeah. we, we, we busted a guy with 13 pounds of meth. We busted a guy, you know, like those are the kinds of things you see on this, at that level. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Now, as far as the bales of marijuana, we would get called that they were, they're floating up in the water, in the water onto the beach. Right. Cause they've heard being chased by, by uh, the coast guard and dumping that stuff off. And then we would just pick up the bales every, every other week. It was two, three, four bales washed up on shore. So that's the big problem with marijuana is it's so bulky. <laughs> i mean like literally that's that's it. that right cocaine is so much more attractive to smuggle because you know it's worth so much more based on its mass <laughs> yeah true yeah so but you know hey mar- when the punishment for marijuana and cocaine is almost the same according to the feds why not <laughs> i guess so, i don't know hey if that's your thing do it hey you know what was that guy that they Johnny Depp made a movie about him? Uh, it was called oh, Blow. Yeah, Blow. Blow. No, Blow. He oh, was he Blow. played the smuggler in Blow. Right. Um, He's a good acquaintance of mine. The the smuggler? No, Johnny Depp. Oh, why is that? We used to work together back in the day at the cl- the wow. rock and roll club. Really? Yeah. George Young. That's the guy's name. Yeah, that's the guy who portrayed. Yeah, yeah that's the guy who played. Um, that's the that's you know make a ton of money. That was a good movie. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, okay. So uh, you, you've seized the DC-9 at this point. <laughs> you you negotiated your son's pediatrician out of a hostage standoff. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, how about some some how about some good patrol stuff? Or organized crime. We haven't gotten to organized crime. I'm sorry. We, the top three, right? So organized crime. So w- well, the organized crime was was the was the narcotics because that's that became that's what we did in the organized crime. And then oh, we go there. So narco was a portion of the organized crime unit, right? Yeah, uh, right. Okay. And then we'd go and seize their cars, or seize their property, or seize their homes, or whatever we whatever we had to take that facilitated that crime. We would go and confiscate it. And about wow. every other week, I was driving a nice car because every car we seized was really nice, and we just put <laughs> them under the sheriff's insurance. Yeah, you put it in the service. Use them. Right. Yeah, UC car. Right. Nowadays, it's a little more difficult. <laughs> Yeah, but it is. Especially, well, at least where we were at, um, if you see something on the state side, you had to sell it. And then you could use yeah. cash to buy something right. that you could use. However, mm-hmm. on the federal side, if you seized it federally, you didn't have to sell it. You could just put it into service. So we would always try to get the marshals to seize it 
Right. That way we could just, you know, throw a police radio in it and make it, a, it. <laughs> make it a car. <laughs> yeah, we a lot of times the agency bought uh, bought the cars, paid them off, and then we used them. Yeah, and some I mean, of them cool. were really nice cars. <laughs> Why not? Well, you know, it's great undercover rides. Now you have you said as or Chuck said as part of your resume, and, and you had mentioned that you had been on Cops. Now I know yes. early on in cops they i mean they've been to so many places for a long time they did not do a lot of agencies especially la um and and to be fair a lot of times when police work is done right it's not very fun to watch right like you were (laughs) we've talked about you know hostage negotiating being a lot of talking it's not like the movies you know so when it's done right you know ostensibly it's not fun to watch. It's just a lot of procedure. That's However, yeah. the show Cops is based on a lot on uh, police work when it's either not done right or when it goes to shit. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. <laughs> so I remember growing up watching Cops, and I, I that was my first. I, I'd never heard the term Broward County, but I, you watch Cops, yep. and you will see them go to Broward County. All the time. All the time. All the time. Right. So, All the time. how often were they filming with you guys? Well, I think with myself, I think I had them drive. I had them in my car for about a week and a half, and I think I was on about five or six different episodes. Wow. Okay. And now, what's that like? It was. Well, it was. It was. Well, at first, it was fun. And my my chief calls me in the office, and they see this guy in a suit, and I'm thinking like, oh, what I do wrong? And he goes, well, this gentleman is with this uh, TV show called Cops. And I go, what's that? They go, well, they're going to they ride with the police and they film what they do during the day, the shift. That's basically the show. But uh, would you like to be on it? I said, yeah, it sounds like fun. Because I was, uh, I was always very aggressive on the street. I was always getting involved in a lot of craziness. So the chief goes, okay, you're it. You're going to be the guy. I said, okay, cool. <laughs> so the next day, I met with the camera guy and the sound guy. The cameraman sat in the front seat. The sound guy sat in the back seat. And uh, we just filmed what we filmed. That's all. Whatever happened during the day or night. And uh, it went to episode, you know, a few days, a few weeks later. Well, so there's a lot of that. That's like, cool. I, I remember watching it and they would have the, the guy would be in the car. Or the gal would be in the car driving and they'd cut to them talking. You know, they'd say, you know, a lot of people are day is this or that, you know, and they would kind of. It would be kind of in the mind of the officer as he narrated a little bit. And ultimately he'd be saying something and then he would trail off or it would cut to a call and they would use that as to like get between little vignettes is the guy talking as he was driving around. So how yeah. does that work? Did they, did they ask you questions? Did they prompt you? Did, did, yes. you, did, okay. Yeah, they did. They asked you, you know, tell us a little bit what's going on, where we're going. And then after the call was, after we handled the call, tell us about what happened on the call. Um, you wouldn't hear them ask it. You would just hear the right. Response. They would cut that out, obviously. <laughs> right. And um, it was fun. You know, we had a lot of lot of good calls. We had a lot of you know, high speed chases. It was it was it was okay. Were they ever like, remember? Oh, oh crap! <laughs> right? Yeah. So what? Were they ever like? Oh crap! Like scared in the back seat since this was their first uh, season? Uh, not really. Uh, we had just one, just one kind of a funny chase where these this family uh the two parents and two little kids about 10 or 11 years old uh did a major shoplifting at one of the local grocery stores 
And it's like they walked out with a bunch of meat. So we got the call, and I happened to be, I tried to find the car right behind them. And I got the cops crew with me. So the guy decides he's not going to stop. He's going to take off. So he's racing. We're chasing this guy through the city. And as we're chasing him, the kids in the in the back seat are opened up to the side windows, and they were throwing all the meat at me on my car. <laughs> so I was getting hit with chickens and steaks and chops. And, you know, <laughs> wow. Eventually, they stopped, and we arrested the fan, the adults and the kids went with some other family members. But it was kind of ironic is that, you know, I wrote this movie script uh, from an incident I had in this rock and roll club, and uh, the. The um, the cameraman on Cops then is now the executive producer for the TV show The Amazing Race. Oh, okay. Wow. Like so, I got a hold of him and I go, listen, uh, I don't know if you remember me or not, but you were the cameraman with me on Cops back in 1989 in Broward. He goes, oh yeah, I remember the Great Meat Chase. <laughs> I said, how do you? I said, how do you remember that? Of all the hundreds and hundreds of shows all over the uh, world, because how do you not... remember that episode? Yeah. He goes, I'll never ever forget that as long as I live. It was the greatest thing in the world. Amazing. <laughs> That's a, so now you have to tell us about this call that you wrote a screenplay about. All right. Well, I was working in the rock and roll club called the Agora Ballroom in a city out here. And um, I was the one of the bouncers in the club. And that back in this the was time, the side gig? Was the, uh, uh, well, this is before police. Oh, right. okay. This, this is before, before, you, before you said police. when you were doing security yeah, and stuff is- before you became a cop. Right. This is like in okay. 1982. Right. Uh, we had thrown out uh, these two girls that were drunk. One of them happens to stumble, falls, cuts her chin. She's screaming at us. The two boyfriends come out. They're drunk. And they make a threat that they're going to come back and kill everybody. They say, get the hell out of here. We Ooh. hear this like once, twice a week. We hear the same threats. Sure. So it's closing, t- it's closing time. I'm in my car. There's about 15 people out front. The bouncers are going home. Some friends. And I'm in my car at the front door. uh, My roommate at the time, we're giving this girl a ride home. And I'm just ready to back up. And this car's coming from my right. And my roommate says, oh, don't back up. There's a car coming. So I look. And just as I look over my left shoulder, I see the barrel of a rifle sticking out of this guy's gun, this car. And he fires three shots into the crowd. And he does a drive-by shooting. He shoots out my windows of my car. I was almost shot. I jump out of the car. And I go, hey, get down. They're shooting. So I dive out of my car in between another car, and I watch the guy take off out of the parking lot. And everybody else is laying on the ground. People are crying, screaming. So everybody was getting up except this one guy, this one bouncer. So I run over to him, and he got shot in the back. So I get on the ground with him, and I pull, pull him up into my lap, and I put my finger in the bullet hole trying to hope to you know, stop the bleeding a little bit. Mm. didn't work. Finally, the, med- the cops come, the paramedics come. They take the kid to the hospital where he, he dies of the gunshot. So then the guys, the guys that are fleeing the scene, they go down about a mile or two away from the club. They get into a crash. And then the cops go out there and do the, do the accident report, not knowing that these are the guys involved in the shooting. Oh, shit. Right? So they go ahead. They do the accident report. They let them go. Then they, uh, they eventually they, they find a, a, a tow place where they have a car crusher. And they, cr- they get rid of the car. And they get some water away. They get rid of the rifle. And they both flee the state. And about three months later, they find out where they are and they extradite them back. So now they go to trial and they're being held on on first degree murder charges. How did they connect? So them? during the trials, uh, well, we had witnesses. They knew who they were. Uh, we okay. didn't know them. Other people that okay. were at the club knew who they were because they were at the bar with them. 
so uh, one of the guys that took three trials to get him convicted, the first two were hung juries. Finally, the third trial, they got him convicted. The second guy, first trial conviction, they get sent up to northern Florida to the prison to do their time. Now, about seven years later, one of them gets raped in prison and contracts AIDS. And the family <laughs> pleads with the governor to <laughs> pleads with the governor to have him go to if he can go home. <laughs> it's all true. And um, no, just, they plead with the uh, governor to let him go home so he can die at home instead of dying in prison. So the governor pardoned him so he can leave the prison and go home and die. The other guy, about a year later, escapes in a laundry truck and is on the run for over 10 years before the U.S. Marshals finally catch up to him wow. and bring him back to prison. Wow. Right? And then the story goes back to He's the He's like, club, damn, the laundry truck. I should have got AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> Might have still got it from the truck. Who knows? That's true. Uh, and then the rest of the story was about the rock and roll club. What was going on there? There was a lot of people doing drugs. There was overdosing. Well, there was fights. Sure. Uh, all the up and coming rock and roll groups started there. Uh, Johnny Depp was working there at the time. Um, and that's what that's what the, that was the storyline, pretty much. So I made wow. it into a script with the help of a script writer in California. And then when I talked to this guy, uh, Bert Van Munster, who's the executive producer for The Amazing Race, he said, listen, I'd love to do you, I'd love to produce your script, but I'm very busy on my 30th anniversary show, so I can't do anything. But maybe if you <clears> transform <throat> it into a book, from script to book and a book to movie, you might have a better chat. Was this the so Agora this Ballroom? In California, we did it. Agora Ballroom, yeah. Wow. Okay, I just looked it up. There is a picture of Johnny Depp in 1982 playing bass at yeah, the Agora yeah. Ballroom. Wow. I got the same picture. <laughs> wow okay yeah crazy so he's in he's in the script he's in my movie script he's in the book (laughs) that's so cool wow that was that was the crazy time back then that is just like it's the it literally was the wild wild west yeah yeah. that's so much fun (laughs) i i i I can't even imagine like okay so i want to go back up a little bit and and talk to talk to my patrol cops out there and and maybe you can speak to this, Glenn. But the takeaway for me from Glenn's story about working at the club and one of the first drive-by shootings ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> if, these guys went to a crash a mile, a mile and a half away. And were taking an accident report from two guys that had just committed homicide. Yeah. Had no idea. Yeah. Right. The fact that they were able to successfully take a report and these guys left, had the car crushed, dropped the gun in the waterway, blah, 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 blah. That's all luck. That's all circumstances. (laughs) The shooters, the bad guys, they dictated that encounter, right? They decided not to try and kill those cops. They decided not to engage. Now, could that be because they practice good officer safety? Could that be because these suspects saw these cops and said, we better not screw with them? Could it, who, could it be because they couldn't believe what they just did? I don't know. But don't know. for me, the takeaway is, guys, you never know what you're responding to. It, it may seem like just a stupid TC or TA, depending well, on what you call it. But I'll give you a little different story. Uh, we saw these two biker types buy some crack in the city and myself and another deputy decided to stop them. We did a traffic stop and uh, they presented two Florida driver's licenses. We checked them out. 
We arrested him on the cocaine. We saw the cocaine sitting on the under the console. And we take him to the office. And in our in our in our office, there are two cells, side by side cells, one guy in each one. And I'm walking by, and one of the guys yells, Hey, Sarge, come here. I go, What's up? Those of you, you guys have been really cool with us. Those those IDs we gave you were fake. <clears throat> really, but they checked out as legitimate, right? He goes, yeah, we're wanted for numerous violent bank robberies across the United States. <laughs> and we're just going to give ourselves up? Wow. Yeah, they just, they were tired of running, right? Wow. So they were in the city. They were going to, they bought the dope so they can party that night. And then the following morning, they were going to hit a bank in the city. Right? So they basically just had enough. So we call wow. the FBI out. The FBI comes out. They do, they talk with them. And the one of the agents pulls me aside. He goes, listen, you're very lucky. I go, why? He goes, normally these guys are heavily armed. And they told me that when you walked up to the car, if they were armed, they were going to kill you and your partner. Oh, and shit. Nice to know. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And then when they went to the motel room, they found their weapons in the motel room. Oh, wow. That could have ended badly. Yeah, yeah we had a cop. So who had, she came on early on in this podcast and she told us a very similar story about a guy, a real bad guy, just sitting in a parking lot. She encountered him late at night she took him to jail for warrants and she found out what he was wanted for and basically what ends up happening is is she found out like he had a gun didn't decided not to kill her and it shook her to her core and she had to ask him why didn't you kill me he's like because you were yep. respectful and nice wow see so <laughs> anyway, it just, it just goes know. to show Fellow coppers, always keep your head on a swivel. Don't Ugh. treat um, any call the same. Treat it as a deadly situation every single time because you never know right. who that person is on the other side of that call. Even if it's a mundane traffic stop or mundane traffic collision, you never know who that person is that you're stopping yeah. or the call that you're responding to and the person that you're going to go talk to. You never know who they are. Yep. You you oh you know what they and say. I hate Be when polite. it's a routine. I hate, oh. the, I hate routine when it's a no, routine. Nothing's ever routine. Stuff. Nothing's ever routine. Nothing you know, should ever be routine. I'm very critical when I see certain news stories about cops that were hurt or killed on the job. And I'm thinking like, who taught them that tactic? Why would you want to lean in the guy's car to right. try, try to grab the keys you. or something like that or fight with them in the? Yeah. Why would you want to do that? I mean, I had guys on my shift that would drag down the street four or five blocks because they were idiots that stick the hands of a car. Yeah, right. You know. Well, that's, I mean, it's just nowadays insane. they change the mindset they to, to teach, say that uh, they say unknown risk. They should teach for these tactics. Yeah, so, which yeah, is better. Horrible. Yeah. So, I, I yeah. always, I, I, they, you know what they say: be polite, be professional, but have a plan to kill right. everyone you meet. Yeah. Colonel <laughs> Mattis, do your job. No. <laughs> yep. Well, uh, Glenn, I I found this fascinating, and I would love to make sure that. Chuck and I can schedule uh, you again to come back. I'd love to talk Absolutely. about your time in the army in Germany. I'd love to talk about, okay. well, I'm sure you had some fun experiences there. Um, but I, okay. I also, I, you know, <laughs> I know you've got other stories. Um, I, I, I could pick your brain about police work in the, the golden age of policing for, for hours. Um, you know, you, my dad, like I said, my dad came on the job about 10 years before you did in 72. So he was, Literally, as Adam 12 is still on the air, he's riding around in the same car as they are, <laughs> you know, using call boxes right. and all that kind of stuff. So 
that that whole era of police work where you had a gun, a baton, one pair of handcuffs, and maybe two reloads That's for it. your revolver, and that was it. He didn't even have yeah. a he didn't have a radio. Nothing. The radio was in the car. Well, all I can say it's a good thing it's a good thing I didn't have body cams when I was working. Well <laughs> <laughs> the rules were different back then. Uh, well, yeah. No rules. Yeah. The hey, survive. Yeah. That was the rule. Yeah. Before we get to, to, to dedication and close out, yeah. Uh we have something so who someone was on the show uh-huh. and they wanna want us to answer a question for him. It's okay. short and sweet. And- and we've got Glenn here, so so you know Glenn like can weigh on it as well. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm not going to say his name just for operational security. Um, he goes, I'm not sure if you guys remember me. I came on the show a couple months ago. Wanted to reach back out to y'all, update some stuff. I just finished EMT school and potentially have a full time firefighting job waiting on me once I take registry. Also, I have some questions about a bad call on Mother's Day. We had a two fatality fire. My uh, fire department was the third truck on scene, first truck uh, that wasn't from the primary fire department. We were told about five minutes out from the scene, they called out possible entrapment. Once on scene, myself, another firefighter made a push um, on the Bravo side because the Alpha side um, looked like the pits of hell. While we were pushing in and searching, we found one victim and it didn't register in my mind at first because we trained with dummies. And it had replayed and replayed in my mind. His face had been burned in my mind. We didn't find the second victim until the fire was pretty much out. I have replayed that whole call so many times um, because I felt like a failure. It was my job to go in and and find them and only found one. I'm not that type uh, to accept failure. I push myself to the best and everything. And my mind hasn't been really clear since then. The body didn't necessarily bother me. I have been a part of some really bad calls. There's not much I haven't witnessed, but this one still hits differently. You all give really good advice, and I have been um, listening to the podcast while I'm at work. I guess how long before the pain goes away, how to properly deal with it. I have tried everything um, six ways past Sunday to not think about it, but it's still like the shadow constantly following me. Um, okay, so I'll get a little personal and just tell you I was um I'm working a summer gig right now until my new uh job starts. You guys know I'm going to school right now, but I'm I'm working whatever gigs I can take to pay for school. And I was out working in the sun, the radio was on, it was a nice summer day, and the uh cover of sounds of silence the the heavy metal hard rock cover by uh disturbed came on and i know that song i know i know the original i know the remake and i've seen all of the law enforcement memorial videos that that song has been used in and i've made it through that song many many times and for whatever reason 48 hours ago right before we were about to go for a lunch break, that song came on the radio and it's a good goddamn thing. We were about to go on our lunch break because as soon as the guy started singing, I got a lump in my throat and a knot in my stomach and I had to walk away just thinking about, uh, you know, the anniversary of a, of a, a young officer I trained that had been killed about a year ago and thinking about all these other things. And it just all came up at once. So 
the answer that I would say to how long is never. Yep. It doesn't ever go away. Nope. Um, it gets better. It gets lesser. It, it There will be times where you'll be able to laugh about it. Um, some of the absurdity. There will t- be times where you'll laugh and cry about it. There'll be times where you will be numb. Um, but, you know, that's one of the reasons this show exists is because that stuff just stays with you. It just, yeah, it does. Right. It doesn't go. Yeah. Away. And it, but yeah. there's always somebody to talk to if you're feeling like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. If, if you're religious, you go to see your priest or if you go to see a, a professional therapist or talk to the guys on your shift. Let them yeah. t- and let them talk to you about it. You know, don't don't hold it in because nothing good's going to happen when you hold it in. And if two guys, imagine two guys, imagine the silliness of two guys on shift together at the fire station, or or on a call, or grabbing a cup of coffee, or or you know deployed out, you know anywhere they're at, where there's two guys that have experienced the same thing. And neither one of them wants to say how uncomfortable or upset what they've experienced is making them. But then you have two guys that are afraid or embarrassed of what the other guy might think when the other guy is feeling exactly the same way. Yeah. Or maybe he's felt that way before and, or she, and they understand, you know, I think a big part of it, like you said, Glenn is not talking about it. If, if, if you have somebody like emotional fear, yeah, it is yeah. definitely emotional fear. It's that I it's 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 this um I'm I'm too tough to have this problem. Right. Yeah. And I'll yeah. <clears throat> I'll give my two cents on it. <clears throat> that uh that feeling is never gonna go away. No. Um you'll see those faces, you'll see you'll see the incident, it'll replay back in your mind over and over again. It will get easier to deal with. Um but you have to take the steps towards that. And like Glenn was saying, um, Tom was saying, you need to talk to someone about it. You don't keep it in. Um, if it's bothering you that much, you need to bring it up to maybe someone at your shift, maybe a senior firefighter. Um, talk to them, ask their advice, um, see if they've dealt with similar incidents, because I guarantee you they have. They'll tell you maybe who they talk to. A mm-hmm. lot of places have chaplains. A lot mm-hmm. of fire departments have chaplains. You can always talk to that chaplain. Or you can find a therapist who deals with law enforcement. There's so many out there and talk to them about how you're feeling. The worst thing you could do is cope with a substance such as alcohol or anything else. Um, It only numbs you. It doesn't make it go away. It doesn't make it any better. In fact, it'll compound everything that you're feeling because alcohol is a depressant and it'll make it hurt more. The Like Tom was saying, that song came on from Disturbed. I've listened to... Um, a couple other songs that that brought it up, and as soon as the bagpipes started playing, oh. you know, it oh. just it tore Amazing me to grace pieces. On the bagpipes. You know, it, yeah. it's there's certain things I can't deal with, and there's I have to talk about it, and you know, I try to be an open book as much as possible. But there's things that I bottle up, and I'm not perfect. No one's perfect, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. And sometimes it comes out in the worst ways, especially when you drink, and mm-hmm. that is the one yeah. thing that you got to try to stay away from. So. Long story short, it will get easier. It won't go away. Learn how to deal with it through talking to other people who have gone through it and um, other professionals. And if you if you don't if you don't 
feel like you need to talk to a professional. I understand that, but you should talk to someone, yeah, right? Someone doesn't have to be a chaplain. Doesn't have to be a shrink, right. but sometimes, honestly, sometimes just telling a senior officer or senior firefighter or, or senior enlisted or, you know, whatever it is, just giving voice to those thoughts and ideas that you're having has the net effect of ventilating, you know, the release valve. Yeah. Right. But also right. then it causes them to say, yeah, I had something similar happen to me. And then they tell you the story, which is what this show is all about. They tell you that story and you go, sometimes you go, wow, that's, that's way worse than mine. Like, and it gives you perspective. Sometimes you go, oh my God, that's mm -hmm. just as bad as mine. And I'm not alone, but whatever it is, you understand that you're not experiencing these things in a vacuum. You, you, you don't have to, you know, hide how this stuff made you feel it. It, it's totally normal. And if you didn't feel that way, there's something wrong with you. Maybe a psychopath so the or a Right. <laughs> so the fact that you have those feelings just means that A, you're human, and B, the job hasn't fucked you up too bad. Because if yeah, it, you, right. the job can get, the job can do it. The job can do it to the point oh, where yeah. the only way yeah. for you to access your emotions is through alcohol, is through drugs, is through substances, because you've locked everything up so tight that you have to use external substances to even access your emotions anymore. You know, I, I used true. to joke around well, with the my worst family. Case, Go ahead. Well, the worst case is committing suicide. Right. Because you mm -hmm. can't, you, you feel empty. Can't deal with it. Yeah, exactly. Right. So... I hope that helps. And again, we're always here if you need us. Um, your friends are there. Your partners are there. There are, or if you need resources, we'll be happy to contact us. We'll be happy to give them to you. Um, but uh, just know that uh, you're going to be okay. You just talk to, talk, pick someone you trust and say, hey, man, I want to, I want to talk to you about something. And then go from there. It's the first step. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, it seems like the hardest. Yeah, it seems so easy, but it's so hard. It is. You're right. Well, uh, Glenn, I, I first of all, before we get to your dedication, I wanted to add that we we have a um, kind of a sideways dedication. We got an email from a listener, and uh, I won't say the name, um, but uh, he wanted to tell us it, basically the title of his email was "Fuck Truck Drivers." And it was because he uh, experienced a loss that a lot of us, I've experienced it. It was, um, he lost his fire chief to a drunk driver. So uh, I just, this happened uh, just recently. Um, and it was with the San Joaquin County assistant fire chief um, or San Joaquin County fire department or Collegeville fire district in San Joaquin County is more accurate. Um, and a high-speed suspect within a DUI crash. Highway Patrol confirmed that Kurt Pettit was the assistant fire chief killed in the collision. And I know it's not an on-duty death, and so did our emailer. But um, let's face it, you know, those kinds of deaths, uh, we deal with drunk drivers. We deal with, you know, the road. We deal with those the firefighters deal with the victims. You know, we deal with the suspects. And then when it happens yeah. to one of your own, it's tough. So, very much so. We just wanted to, we just wanted to mention uh, Assistant Chief Pettit and say, 
Uh, rest easy, brother. Now, Glenn, we, we, we'd like to open it to you to dedicate this episode to whoever you'd like to dedicate it to. Okay. Um, they had this, this young deputy who's about 22 years old. Um, we were having a discussion in my office. With, I was having a discussion with him in my office about scheduling. He was on our, on our set team, the strategic enforcement team. Mm-hmm. Um, he wore basically um, plain clothes, but he wore his vest and gun and all that stuff. And uh, I said, okay, what are you going to do tonight? Oh, we're going to do some traffic enforcement to see if we can find anything on the traffic stops. Okay, fine. So I was ready to go home. And uh, about 20 minutes later, I'm, about, I'm only about maybe five or six minutes away from the office. There's this, all of a sudden, there's this female screaming on the radio. And I, I'm saying, who the hell is that screaming on the radio? I thought somebody maybe you know, hacked in. So I go, I'm thinking, like, what the hell is going on? I, I didn't understand. We couldn't understand anything this person was saying. But finally, one of the other deputies got on the radio and go, oh, that's uh, deputy so-and-so. This guy, why? What is she doing? Where is she? So I'm I'm trying to go to try to turn around. This is on one of our highways out here. Mm-hmm. So um, I get on the scene. And what had happened was they were on a traffic stop. And the deputy, his name is um, Ryan Saya. Uh, he was talking to the driver, his female partner was talking to the passenger, and they're in the safety zone between the on-ramp and the and the highway. And they're in an unmarked car, but they got emergency lights on the car. Sure. But what happened was some guy coming down in the same direction that they were working is watching the traffic stop. And as he's watching it, he's veering over and he winds up striking the deputy at the driver's door. And throws him about a hundred feet down the road and killed him. And then that, that's what this late the, the female cop is screaming on the radio about. Nobody understands what he was talking about. Right, because she's so. In shock. So then my guys are saying, "Hey, Sergeant, you need to get over here really fast." So I'm getting over there, code three, and I pull up and I go, "Well, where's where's Ryan?" And he goes, "He's down there." I go, "Down there where?" I don't see anything. All right, so I walk down about a hundred, hundred and fifty feet, and he's laying dead on the highway. So they go, holy shit, what the hell happened? So the guy that hit him pulled over. Luckily, he didn't run. And, um, the, you know, everybody get the whole world is responding to get out sure. there. Uh, the paramedics got there to check him out. And they, and they left him laying out there in the, in the, you know, in the open. I right. go, would you somebody please cover this guy up? All right. Right. So he's yeah, not, a, not a sideshow to look at. Just cover the guy up. All right. So, um, and it, and it really bothers me to even to today. I even wear a, a memorial wrist, wristband uh, with his name and date of death on it because, right. you know, I basically trained this kid. Um, and I'm thinking, like, what did something in my training not work or maybe he wasn't paying attention to it? Who knows? I don't want to second guess what happened. It happened, happened. And that's the uh, the one guy that, that stuck in my brain. And I've talked to a lot of people about it. And it still bothers me today because... I see these things on TV where these cops are doing these traffic stops and they're in the same exact position. They put themselves in a position to be hit. Right. They don't learn. Yeah. yeah. So unfortunately, and, and those, then, those lights are like a, like a light to a moth, like moth to a flame, man. Drivers right. just, especially ugh, dangerous. Well, you know, right now I'm working as a driving school instructor and I always tell the students, your hands follow your eyes. Mm-hmm. So if you start staring at something <clears> on the side of the road, you can start drifting into it. And that's yeah. what apparently what this guy did. Yeah. And that's when he killed the guy, right? Now, the highway patrol worked the fatal crash. And the only thing they found the guy guilty of was 
being careless because he wasn't drunk. He wasn't tired. He wasn't on the phone. He was just not paying attention, which is not a a horrible accident. Yeah. It's a horrible accident. And he got a traffic ticket. Yeah. Well, it's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. Well, rest easy. And then of course, a few days after that funeral, my mother died. Oh, so a double whammy. So I, I do. Well, I go to. So I go to her, or I go to the deputy's funeral, right? So I go. My mother's not going to be buried for a little bit. So let me go to the cop's funeral. So I'm in the line at the, you know, with the in the front of the church, and the sheriff is walking by, and he goes, "Glenn, I heard your mother died last night. Why are you here?" I go. I had to be here because this was one of my guys. All right. He was upset that I was there. <laughs> so, yeah. So. That's no, my I mean, occasion to good old Ryan. Well, rest easy, brother. We've got it from here. Um, Glenn, again, we great dedication. We appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, something like that's going to stay with you again. Like like we said to our emailer, it's going to stay with you for a long time. So yeah. uh, we appreciate you, and we hope you come back on. Yes. I'd love to come back. Just let me know when. Yeah, it's a good time. <laughs> it's a good hang. And uh, Chuck, I know you have some uh, some housekeeping to do. We we yep. took we had a little uh, break for Fourth of July um, because uh, we've got you know uh, family stuff going on. Everybody knows what's going on with Matt over on locker room and uh, with Chuck in similar circumstances. So we 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 had a little special uh, treat that we recorded for you for Fourth of July. But uh, we're back and we're back on our regular schedule. And uh, Chuck has our our usual information for you. So. Yes. Um, First of all, I want to say thank you all for listening today. If you like today's podcast, please go follow us on our Instagram at war underscore stories underscore official and our Facebook at war stories podcast. If you already follow us, share our posts and our info. You can uh, also use the link in our bio on Instagram and Facebook to reach all of our socials, our media and website. Our podcast is on all major streaming uh, podcast platforms as well as on YouTube. If you want to support us, please go to our website at www.com warstoriesofficial.com and grab some gear. We have whoopee hoodies, shirts, patches, stickers left. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to be uh, having uh, the summer gear that you guys voted on. You guys like mm-hmm. the, the new design. So that will be going into effect um, very shortly. And by the time you guys listen to this, um, we should already have uh, it in production. So be on the lookout for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you want to be featured on our show or think you have a story or want to share your story, please go to booking.warstories at gmail.com. That's B-O-O-K-I-N-G dot W-A-R-S-T-O-R-I-E-S at gmail.com. Booking.warstories at gmail.com. And send me your story and I can get you booked. If you have already been on the show, you have more stories and you want to share them, please reach back out. Okay. Please don't wait for for, yep. for me to reach back out to you. I have a lot of emails and stuff gets lost in the sauce constantly. So please, mm-hmm. if you're listening and you're like, okay, I would love to come back on. It doesn't matter when you came on, how short ago, how long ago, please send me an email and we'll get you booked. We are looking Glenn's for Glenn's a perfect example because yes. uh, Chuck <laughs> tried to email Glenn back and he accidentally ended up emailing me back. And right. I said, hey, uh, I think you're supposed to email Glenn. And then he didn't, you know, we got it scheduled, but oh. yeah, you know, shit happens. It does. So we're looking for law enforcement, corrections, dispatchers, fire, and medics, as well as veterans. If you have a friend who you think would be a great fit, let them know about us. Give them our booking email. Um, And again, thank you for your support and stay safe. Real quick, um, 
<clears throat> I'm going to be taking a hiatus on um, on our Instagram. I normally run the Instagram and respond to all you guys. So it's imperative. If you want to come on the show, do not DM there. Please just send it straight over to the booking. It'll be much faster. Yes. Um, I have some personal stuff I'm going to be dealing with. I'm still going to be on the podcast every single week as well as on Locker Room. So I'm, I'm just taking a hiatus from social media for a little bit yeah. to deal with my family. Um, and then yeah, baby on the, way. Baby on the way. Yeah. So he yeah, needs, he needs to cut something issues. out and he figured social media was the easiest, most time consuming yeah, thing that he could cut. Right. Out, so it's, it's only for a short while, just a couple months. So just to get over the hump and, uh, so, um, please send me your booking stuff. If you want to come on, can't stress that enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've already been on, I look forward to hearing from you soon. All right. And until our next episode, come home with your shield or honor.